Well, the wait is over, and it looks like the Commonwealth of Virginia finally has a budget. The governor addressed the joint money committees in Richmond this week, and the committees met and compromised upon a long-standing budget for the Commonwealth of Virginia. Also, the GOP primary first debate took place. President Trump skipped it, but who's the front runner now? It's Stay the Water. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Laville. We'll be right back in just a moment. It's Stay the Water. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Laville. Welcome back. We thank you, as always, for joining us, as you always do, as we broadcast from the campus of the Norfolk State University on WNSB Hot 91, the soul of VA. On Stay the Water, we bring movers, shakers, and policymakers to you to discuss issues important to the community. We also like to thank you, the listeners, and also the Spartan Nation, the most dynamic, phenomenal alumni supporters of any institution in all the land. Listen, we couldn't do what we do without you. Going into our third year, we're truly blessed to be able to bring you these important individuals, people, and have these important conversations to make sure that you stay informed about the laws and public policies that are affecting your life. So today I want to talk about, you know, something that we've really been waiting for since February of this year, and that's the Virginia budget. The Virginia budget, usually during the legislative session, you know, we they go through the session, long session, short session, 45 days, 60 days, and our legislators usually meet and they compromise and meet with the governor. And sometimes there's a extra what they call a special session that takes place. And ultimately, because of politics, we have a compromise and we have a budget. The budget helps us to continue to keep, you know, the Commonwealth moving, uh, make sure that all of our uh, programs and services continue to move forward, ensure that all of our teachers are paid, our first responders are paid, our public workers are paid, our civil service workers have that paycheck that they bring home and make sure that they can support their families. But not only that, but other services, our institutions of higher education, state institutions are supported, and also our K-12 through schools are supported to provide that very key resource that no human being in this country, and I say in the world, can survive without, and that is an education. But it is August of 2023, and six months later, we had no budget. But finally, a compromise was reached, and it looks like we do have one. So people were saying, and of course, as we work and just like us here in Norfolk State and other institutions and other agencies and so forth, the question is, what's going to happen to the Commonwealth and the budget? Well, let me first start with what took place and then I will let you and we'll talk about what actually happened and got us here to this point and what we'll see moving forward. So because the legislature didn't reach a budget, uh, compromise uh, during the time of the session, they appointed what's called conferees. Conferees are representatives from each party that come together and really work on behalf of competing interests. Now, what's the significance of that? You have individuals who are leaders of their caucuses, 
uh, that basically have the ear and the power of their members uh, that's provided to them, more so because of seniority or respect or position really on committees. So those individuals work together with the other leaders of their parties, of the opposite party, and they come together to talk about, hey, I know you want this, but we're not willing to give all of this to you. But if we do, then you have to give us this. So it's what we call a quid pro quo. And it's the nature of politics. It's the nature of compromise. That's all it is. Compromise in order so that the greater will of the people in the Commonwealth is taken care of. And what is the greater will? The greater will is that we basically ensure that our basic services, we ensure that individuals have the opportunity, our citizens, the taxpayers, our most vulnerable of our communities, our young children, our senior citizens, they have the basic services that they need in order to uh, move, in order to uh, ensure that they can live, and to make sure that our Commonwealth continues to be, I believe, the best state within the union. Uh, if not, some would say the top, definitely top five, but I would say definitely the, the best. And without that particular compromise, we have what's called a stalemate. And that's where we had coming at the end of February of this year. Now, of course, a budget was passed, what's called a stopgap budget uh, or measure. And basically what that did, it funded basic services. So if you notice, if you're a teacher, if you're a first responder, if you are a civil service worker, your paycheck didn't stop. Uh, you continue to be paid. You continue to be able to provide uh, food and shelter and all of the basic services needed for yourself and your family and your loved ones and those that you support. That happened. That continued to take place. But not only that, but you also was able, you were able to have roads were continued to be built and paved and uh, basic services, public works, public services continue to um, uh, pro uh, take place. And that was intentional because we couldn't reach that ultimate agreement on the budget. So then from there, we would go back and forth. Back and forth. Legislators would go back and forth on what is the compromise. So finally, on Wednesday of this week, of this past week, according to the AP uh, Associated Press, uh, the Virginia Governor, Glenn Youngkin, he spoke at a joint meeting at the legislators' money committees, or which call House and Senate Appropriations, to talk about the state's revenues and where he believed the state could go. So according to um, uh, the several lawmakers, they believe that a compromise deal on the state budget was going to be likely this week within the coming days. And the bipartisan group of Virginia lawmakers who had been leading this year's negotiation were quite sure that they could reach a deal. And that's according to one Democratic Senator, Janet Howe. Um, also, her Republican counterpart, which is Delegate Barry Knight, uh, who is the chair of the House Appropriations Committee, one of the most powerful committees uh, in the legislature, who's here in Hampton Roads, also agreed. And they were working hard to get that done, which they ended up doing. So with that, you also had, according to the AP, you had Delegate Barry Knight, Senator Howe, and the Finance Appropriations Co-Chair, uh, Senator George Baker, uh, Barker, actually, they spoke and, and they also spoke for their joint uh, committees and respective committees in which they chair. Uh, 
Now, the governor, in his remarks, uh, during his time there, and I was actually there when he gave his remarks, by the way, um, he signaled that he was open to a compromise, according to the AP, and would include, and this was the major holdup. Now, I want, to, want you to, I want you to think about what is best for the Commonwealth. So he said he was open to a compromise that would include a one-time taxpayer rebate, but not the permanent tax cuts that he was seeking. Now, what's the difference here? Do you think it's better for the Commonwealth to have a permanent tax cut in which we see record revenues in, uh, uh, for our reserves and to fund our services, or a one-time rebate? Now, what we saw was a political divided General Assembly uh, they basically uh, continued, they basically didn't agree upon one way or the other. So therefore, we had these competing priorities, right, which included these tax policies. Now, according to the governor and House Republicans, to get this compromise and to get this tax cut, they were saying that we have a multi-billion dollar surplus, all right, multi-billion dollar surplus. Now, how significant is that? A multi-billion dollar surplus. We have between, uh, we have about $4 billion. $4 billion in our, what we call our state savings account, right? Now, if you have, and basically they've, they've argued that additional $1 billion in tax cuts beyond that, uh, you know, that's what they wanted. So, but the Democrats who control the state Senate, uh, what they did was they called a Republican back cuts that included the, a proposed corporate tax rate reduction. They called it a giveaway to big business at the expense of public schools and other priorities. Because at the end of the day, the question is, how do you pay for it? But let me go back for a moment. You run your own personal household. You have income that comes in and you have expenses. And listen, for, you know, like, like, like my, my oldest son, who's now living in his apartment in college, and uh, like other young people, uh, they think before they have to live on their own, money grows on trees, right? But you f- quickly find out that sometimes you have unexpected expenses. Sometimes the calculation for your utilities is not what you actually thought it was. It's about double, maybe triple. Or uh, you thought that maybe you would spend this at the grocery store, but you're actually spending this. Maybe you thought that you didn't, wouldn't drive as much as you drive and your gas or, or fuel bill uh, doubles or triples. These are things that also happen with our, with our Commonwealth. When fuel goes up, we have to pay the cost. When the cost of food goes up, we got to pay the cost. When the cost of doing business with the Commonwealth goes up, we have to pay that cost. That's the great thing about having a surplus because that means we don't have to borrow money. We don't have to tax the taxpayers more, and we don't have to do things that would compromise our credit rate. By the way, according to the um, presentation from the Secretary of Finance on Wednesday of this past week, which I was at, we have AAA credit. That is phenomenal credit. AAA. That's, that is equivalent, equivalent to an individual having 800 credit score. You know what they call, you know, seven, if you have a 760 and above, you know, that's triple A, right? And that's what we have. So the Democrats argue, why mess that up? Why, you know, spend our money when we don't have to spend it when it's not really hurting, you know, individuals? Now, don't get me wrong. 
we all want an extra 20 bucks in our paycheck. We all want an extra $50 a year in our tax refund. We all want that. But if you add that individual $20 up and the individual $50 up and you put it all together, when times get hard and when a recession comes, which some believe that it is coming sooner than later, or there's maybe a drawback of money out of the system, or there's a rate hike by the Federal Reserve, whatever the case may be, when these things do happen, it's good to have those reserves. Look, for all of us that experience unwanted car repairs, you know, or we have to purchase a car because maybe, you know, the car is not, it's, it's in an accident or it's not really getting the job done, or whatever the case may be, or home repairs, isn't it good to have that savings? Isn't it good to have that surplus? Well, that was a compromise. And that's what the Democrats pushed for. Instead of saying, hey, instead of these permanent tax cuts, we got to pay for it somehow. Let's make sure that we, we can help the people. And, and then we help the people. And uh, corporations, we don't, they didn't want to give that huge giveaway, that huge reduction, which, of course, was part of the permanent tax cut. So there you have it as it relates to what was holding up primarily, primarily uh, this particular budget itself. Now, according to the uh, Associated Press, the Demo- one Democratic senator, Craig Deeds, told the press that this month that his caucus, most recent compromise offering included the tax relief, mostly in the form of rebates, but also conceded some permanent tax cuts. But he also more recently told the Richmond Times that current framework at that time was along that particular offer. So you're going to get some. And, of course, there were behind closed doors negotiation proposals, counterproposals, and so forth. So keep in mind that the actual printed version of the budget of of the bill that we have will not be out until later on this week. Um, But for the most part, there is a compromise in what has taken place. Now, according to Senator Barker, you know, you're dealing with two different tax categories, and this is how it shapes up. He said what they're trying to do is make sure that they're meeting the needs of Virginians in terms of taxes, but also making sure that we have the resources we need, not only now, but also in the future. Now, uh, Let's take a look at what the Senate uh, Secretary of Finance stated. Now, these are our numbers, and I want to talk about our numbers as it relates to the health of our particular Commonwealth. But before I do, I just want to remind you that it's Stay the Water. I'm your host, Dr. Eric LaVille, and we're talking about the state budget and the budget compromise that took place this week in Richmond. How healthy is our Commonwealth? How healthy is our pocketbook. And as it relates to the future, what can we do and where do we stand? According to the AP, after lawmakers took questions from Yunkin during the time that he addressed the committees, um, he addressed the financial health of our, of our uh, uh, Commonwealth. Basically, despite headwinds pouring out of Washington with great bluster, which is what he argued, citing inflationary spending, and the Federal Reserve interest rates hikes aimed at curving inflation, Uh, Governor Yunkin celebrated the economic development projects, and he associated new jobs 
And that number of new jobs since he took office was 24,720. 24,720 new jobs. And that's what he announced. And that's, those are the numbers. So that means that we have a state's labor force that is growing. Also, he touted his focus on procurement reform. He also says that we'll be saving $200 million a year by the end of the fiscal year. That's $200 million a year. Now, how is that? Because of the reform measures that were put in place. Now, keep in mind that that's the projected savings. So that's not actual savings we have, but it's projected. Okay. But he stated that here in Virginia, our financial results have never been stronger. Record revenues, a triple A bond rating, and billions in surplus. I want us to focus on that just for a second. We have more people participating in jobs. Over 20, almost 25,000 new jobs. 25,000 new jobs. 24,720 uh, as of last week to be exact. That's a lot of jobs. <laughs> you know, we've had a lot of businesses move from the north and also move from areas in which there have been taxed quite heavily to uh, more mid-east and southern states. And the Commonwealth of Virginia has been a recipient of a lot of that. And not just a recipient of a lot of that, but a recipient not just of manufacturing jobs, but tech jobs. You know, that's where uh, a lot of the brain trust is going. And we're one of the centers for that, cybersecurity and the like. You know, of course, again, with a lot of defense uh, spending and support, uh, supporting our phenomenal greatest military in the world. But again, that is in addition to other industries. So the Commonwealth, our financial health is extremely strong. Absolutely. Not only that, but also, as I mentioned earlier, the AAA bond rating. AAA bond rating simply means that when we want to fund a public works project, investors look at that and say, hey, where do we put our investors' money? We're going to put it in the Commonwealth of Virginia because it is a healthy state. It's, a, it's, it's not only a safe bet, but it's almost a for sure thing because of our management that we've had, because of the past uh, legislation that we've had over past governors and the houses, the General Assembly and the Senate. It's because of all of that that we're able to tout our AAA, AAA bond rating. And then finally, billions in surplus. Billions. Absolute billions. Now, I want to make sure that we understand, again, the importance of what we're doing as a commonwealth and the financial health. When things go bad in the economy, you need to ensure that your financial health is strong. And that is what our commonwealth is doing. That is what that's the give and take of our legislature. That's the give and take of our executive house. That's the give and take. Because ultimately, if you get everything that you want, it may not be the right thing, right? So you need a back and forth. You need to ensure that there's a compromise that's there. You have to ensure that there are people that can uh, give you a different opinion, you know? <laughs> they can say, hey, I know you want this, but I can, you know, I see something different for you. So, I mean, that's the, that's the great thing about politics. 
It's all about compromise, but compromising for all of the right reasons. And that's the beauty of our de democracy. That's the beauty of what I call the greatest state in the union. That's the beauty of what we do. And the key is we got to keep doing it. We got to keep moving. We got to ensure that uh, we are participating, participating in this process. That's why it's so important for you to listen to what's going on. That's important for me to make sure that I'm giving you the information that I believe that will help you to make the best and more informed decision. That's important for us as those that are able and as sitting at the table and putting forth bills and advocating for our communities. That's, it makes it for us. It makes it very important that we're doing the right thing or I would say the best thing. Because when you compromise, everyone believes they're doing the right thing, right? That's, you know, and of course the question becomes who you're doing the right thing for. But everybody believes that. But the key is, the key is to move forward and ensure that whatever compromise you make for the whole, it helps. It helps the whole. And that is the ultimate key to what we do. And that's the ultimate key to our democracy. Stay involved, stay engaged, and make sure that you're trusting our public officials that you're putting in office. And if you don't, then guess what? There's an election every year. But you can also, before the election, talk with your legislators, talk with your city council persons, talk with your school board members. They're open to hear you talk and let them know what you believe is best. And ask if you don't understand it, ask that question. But we want to make sure that you're informed, you're engaged, and guess what? We have an election this year. All 140 seats in the legislature are up for election or re-election. So they're there. Make sure that you're talking to them because they are listening. So we're going to learn out. We're going to find out more and learn more about our future legislators because we're going to have, we're going to start our show, our election series show after Labor Day. We got a great show for Labor Day coming up. I'm gonna not gonna tell you about it, but it's a it's a definitely a treat for you. But after Labor Day, we're getting right into it. It is election season, so we got the budget. We're moving forward as it relates to who is going to run to compete for your vote to serve you in the General Assembly. So we want you to make sure that you stay engaged because we're we're going to make sure that we get the people here. Again, movers, shakers, and policymakers discussing issues important to you. So stay tuned. We're going to start that the week after Labor Day. And then, of course, our annual Get Out the Vote show that we do prior to the election. And then after that, our election recap. And then we'll take a look at the legislature and what's happening. And then, uh, you know, our series that we do about impacting the community around the holidays. Again, it is it's phenomenal. I mean, what, what I do here, I love it because it allows me to do, first of all, what I love and it allows me to do it from the greatest place, the greatest institution, the greatest radio station and work with the greatest people in the Commonwealth to be able to do it and also to communicate to you, the greatest listeners uh, that anybody can ask for. So stay tuned, stay engaged, and we're going to ensure that we get the information to you. So I want to switch uh, gears just a little. Uh, we have a few minutes left, but just this past week, I can't pass this up. Just this past week, we uh, had our first GOP primary debate. 
So it's the first one for the, pri- for the presidential primary for the uh, Republican Party, where each candidate was vying for your uh, vote in the uh, primary in order to determine if they can be your candidate to represent the GOP in the presidential election against now the current sitting president, Joe Biden. So eight candidates were there, but there are nine candidates running for president. And again, we're talking about people who are actually throwing their hat in. We're not talking about, you know, maybe our governor probably running, but he hasn't thrown his hat in yet. But eight, nine people are running, but only eight showed up. And who was that person that didn't show up? That's correct. None other than our former president, Donald Trump. He decided to skip it. And, of course, we know that he's dealing with uh, something that no other president has ever dealt with, and that is a series of indictments in three different, two different states, and, of course, the District of Columbia, and then on top of that, four different courts. It's, it is astounding uh, what's taking place. Nothing is like this has ever happened. Uh, it is amazing to see what is ta- what, how this is going to unfold. But we're going to keep watching it. The world's watching it. And it's, 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 it's almost like theater, but it is very serious uh, what is happening. And uh, it's part of our, but it's part of the wheels of justice, part of what takes place uh, to hold individuals accountable. But again, our justice system allows each party to give their side and it allows individuals to fairly, equitably make a decision on whether a person is to be held accountable for the actions or not. So we're going to continue to watch that. But let's take a look at this particular debate that took place. Eight candidates were on stage. Florida, current Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy, former Vice President uh, Mike Pence, former South Carolina Governor, U.S. Ambassador Nikki Haley, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, current South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, former uh, Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson and North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum. So these were the people who were on stage. And one thing that persons were looking at, according to CNN, you know, what were they, what did individuals supposed to look for? And what they wanted to look for primarily said, number one, can Governor DeSantis, who is the closest to Donald Trump now, um, stand by lights and see how he did? You know, by the way, current president, uh, current former president Donald Trump is actually, you know, he has a foothold. I mean, he has a major hold on the Republican nomination. If ironically, the more he got indicted, the greater stronghold he had and the more support that he, he had. So this is an opportunity for these candidates to show that they are they can't overtake uh, the former current uh, former president. But Ron DeSantis, you know, who started, who's been running for president for a minute, whose campaign basically sunk like a rock when he started to launch it, and and donors pulled away from him. You know, could he stand the bright lights? Could he sing pres- presidential? Um, the other question was, did the candidates, were they trying to out-Trump Trump each other, right? You know, according to one poll, they wanted to see the authenticity of each candidate without trying to uh, say this person cannot uh, the president I could be better than a uh, past president but they wanted to see you know who that person was 
Also, two people from South Carolina, and I think this is interesting, a former governor and a current U.S. senator, who are both, quote-unquote, minorities, one of Indian descent and, of course, female, and one African-American and a black Republican at that. You know, so South Carolina, of course, was a major state which proved to uh, be the state which, again, caused Joe Biden to become president. But I was fortunate enough to do the debate recap on our CBS affiliate here at WTKR Channel 3. Uh, you can go online, that's WTKR.com, uh, put in my name, and you can see that recap uh, that I was able to do. But again, it's part of our democracy. It's part of what works. It's part of what keeps us and makes us great. So again, it's Stay in the Water. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Laville. Well, again, thank you for joining us. And like every week, be good, God bless, and we'll see you next week.